Okay, welcome to another week of There You Grow. Hey guys. We have a special guest with us today, Alex Sommer. She's here to talk to us about and to chat about um, her idea about the intersection between personal development and leadership and to tell us her experience moving out here to Utah during the pandemic. So hi, Alex. Welcome, Alex. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. I have to say this is, um, I don't get out much these days. And while I know we're all remote in this conversation, it is uh, very nice to be with two smart women having a good conversation. So thank you for having me. Oh, we're so excited. Yes. And uh, we always start with our segment on what we learned this week. So Alex, do you want to start? Sure. So something I learned this week and and maybe over the last couple of weeks um, was really just around embracing my emotions. I was just in a little bit of a funk a couple of weeks ago around the pandemic and just having the realization that you know, I I really may not see family for a while and be able to see friends and things like that. And I just needed to let myself cycle through some emotions and not justify them and not feel like I have to explain them, but just experience them. Um, So that was pretty powerful. That's really nice. What would led you, what led you to getting to that conclusion? Like, has there been a journey to get there? Yeah, I think it's it's a good question. I think I have the tendency to, um, you know, out of a general way of protecting myself is feeling like I, I need to sort of um, to justify why I'm feeling a certain way, you know, whether it's, oh, you know, everything happens for, for a reason or, well, this happened because that happened and, you know, trying to make yourself feel better. And sometimes the best course of action is just to let yourself be and just acknowledge it and own it. And I think uh, it's taken me over 30 years to get there, <laughs> but I'm realizing that when you just kind of let go and take a little bit of that pressure off of yourself, it goes a really long way. Mm-hmm. I love that. It actually ties into what I learned, I would say. This week I've been feeling the pressures of, you know, the whole new year, new you. Mm-hmm. Everyone feels like they have to, you know, go out and get skinny again. Yeah. <laughs> and here we are, like, I don't know, we're still mid-pandemic and I have no desire to go and get skinny again. You know, I yeah. who knows if anyone will even see me in a bathing suit this year. I'm not worried. And mm-hmm. so I guess the the thing I learned this last week was really to have patience with myself and recognize that I I don't need to give into those pressures to, to do any of that at any given time. You know, I'm, I should be living on my own timeline and, and not the socially constructed one. Sarah, that is such a beautiful thing because I think, um, I think it's very easy to just succumb into whatever is, is going on societally, socially, and to be able to stop and say, you know what, this is what works for me. And I really don't want that. I think it takes a certain level of maturity to get to that. So that's really amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I'm feeling it this week for sure. Yeah. What about you, Virginia? Yeah. In fact, actually, uh, regarding what you were saying, Sarah, I feel like when when is it going to go out of fashion that every single New Year's, it has to be in a resolution to get fit, to get skinny, 
to change our bodies one way or another. And in fact, this year is the first year that I decided not to put any of that in the in my resolutions. And it feels pretty good. Like what has to happen will happen. I want to be healthy and active and love myself and my body, but I don't want to make it a goal and then feel bad about it if I don't do it to change one way or the other. So I'd love to hear that actually. Right. Yeah. I like that a lot. We uh I'm not a big New Year's resolution person, but I do like to make sort of a a more of an a less of list. Mm-hmm. So I want to do more reading and more cooking new recipes or I want to do, you know, less, you know, social media or less something else. Um and that I feel like it it carries on from maybe what you're already doing and and doesn't put so much pressure to start something brand new or invent something. Um, so that's, that's helped me, you know, kind of reinvent myself a little bit during the year, but I like that a lot. Yeah. I love that. More of less of. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. And it makes it harder to fail. Like who says you didn't do more? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think this week I learned, so I got my FunFit certification, earlier well I was gonna say earlier this year geez last year in August and I started teaching or helping teach um, a friend that is already an instructor just to get my feet wet and I realized that it's much harder to teach than to take a class because when you're teaching you don't get a second to take a break you need to know all the all the choreographies like you don't get to be lost plus you need to have extra energy to be motivating people and just like be hype about it yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it's definitely super fun and rewarding, but, but I didn't, I never took that into account, like how taxing it is, but it's a good experience. Yeah. Probably a very different experience. Um, you know, being the teacher versus the, the student. And I would imagine there's a lot of preparation that goes into that. Yeah. It's it, honestly, it's, pretty nuts because I was I, I think I was overconfident because I've been taking fun fit for like a long time so I was like oh, it's gonna be a piece of cake but just like being up there you even sweat more I don't know what's going on but yeah yeah um so should we get started with our topic let's totally do it let's do it Jump in. There so you. maybe let's start out with um you know I grew up here in Utah. And so I love hearing stories of people that had a different story because I, I haven't moved hardly anywhere in my life. I've stayed within like the same 40 mile radius forever. And I've always wondered, you know, what my story would be like if, if I would have done something differently. And so maybe if you want to start out with um, just kind of where you grew up, Alex, and you know, how you got here. Yeah. In fact, Sarah, my story was not very different from yours less than a year ago. Um, I grew up in the Midwest in St. Louis, Missouri, spent 32 years of my life there. I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Missouri, so not too far from St. Louis, just a couple hours west. And I did my graduate degree at Washington University in St. Louis. Um, So again, still staying Missouri. Did did grow up traveling a lot and seeing the world, which um, was such a terrific experience for so many reasons. My dad's actually born and raised in Argentina. Um, but 
Yeah, my my husband, I met my husband in St. Louis. He moved to St. Louis from the Chicago area when he graduated college close to 10 years ago. Um, so we've, we've built a life together and put roots down in St. Louis, both having careers that were based there. Um, however, we were both very outdoorsy people. And I think we've both had this, this sort of hidden, just desire to move out to a place that was a little bit more, um, outdoorsy, if you will. Um, we've done quite a few trips over the last couple of years that have just opened our eyes to, I, I would say, kind of mountain living and, you know, Western United States culture, if you will. And uh, it absolutely changed our lives. And I think we, we looked at each other a couple of years ago and said, if we don't do this soon, we're not doing this until, you know, we have kids off to college or we're retiring. And we just found ourselves in a place um, at at a fork a fork in the road about a year ago, and uh, it was kind of the perfect storm of of things just falling in the right place to say now's the time. And Gosh, so I love that. <laughs> and I will say it was um, the hardest decision of my life, um, and and it was a different experience for both of us because Michael had already left the nest about ten years before that and moved to St. Louis where he didn't have any family and not a whole lot of friends, um, and we had been living about you know a couple blocks away from my parents for the last ten years, so um, it was a, a really really big move for me in my thirties and starting completely fresh. So um, here we are close to a year later. It was absolutely the best decision of our lives, um, but also the greatest learning experience. And I think the greatest growth spurt that I've had. Um, and I've really been intentional to take the time to learn about, just to, to look back and, and kind of learn from the experience that we've had and think about how I can apply this forward and this new life that we're living, if you will. Do you have any suggestions on the actual logistics of moving over a span that's like, I mean, I'm, I'm getting a moving truck here in, in two weeks and I'm stressing out about moving like five miles. Oh, <laughs> I feel like I that would be so, so hard. <laughs> I have to tell you, I thinking back on it, I'm like, how did we do this? We moved three months into the pandemic. We were selling a house in St. Louis during a, a relatively unknown, somewhat volatile market. And we had to find a rental in Salt Lake City. And we knew we were moving there, but because of the pandemic, we couldn't fly and visit in advance. So we moved completely sight unseen. And thank goodness for technology, we were able to do, you know, video Skype walkthroughs and, and things like that. But yeah, I, I looking back now, I'm saying, how did we maneuver through the logistics of that? And it was very risky. I will say in terms of um, advice for, for a move is just, um, you know, taking the mindset that nothing is perfect, something, you know, may, you know, may fall through, something may happen here or there, but do everything that you can to prepare, but just know that there's always, you know, some marginal room for a little bit of error. And I think if you just allow yourself to be relaxed and say, you know what, it's just a move. 
it's just stuff, you know, something might break in the move. We might fall off our timeline, but it's just stuff. And at the end of the day, we have our health um, and we have the ability to, to process what's happening. Um, so I think the mindset was the most important thing for me to be able to just get through the uncertainty of, of the situation. I love that. And it was tricky. I'll tell you, we had, um, we had to make the decision, you know, we, we sold our house and we sold about half of what was in our home. Uh, we were moving with kind of the minimal amount of furniture and things that we needed. And we were asking ourselves, do we throw it all in the U-Haul and drive 20 hours West? Um, but we were a little bit nervous about doing that with, you know, just weather and with, things that we just weren't sure would would go we we felt more comfortable going with a bigger moving company that could move everything for us but with that is associated costs so it was a lot of calculated risks and um you know trying to make sure we can coordinate that with closing our house at the right time and we had a day in there that we had to be out of the house before we could we could head out to salt lake so it was just a a lot of moving parts <laughs> pun intended um but it, you know what, it all, it all worked out okay. And being on the other side of it, I think I'm just most grateful that I allowed myself to be relatively relaxed through it. Um, and I don't, I don't regret, you know, anything that, that may have gone out of place or things like that. I, I stayed as relaxed as I could. And for a type A person <laughs> that, uh, that likes to have a very bulletproof plan, <laughs> um, that was a big, big challenge for me. I love it. I feel like that's a huge lesson, not just for a move, but I guess anything at all, just to have that mindset. I think that that's super valuable. It, it really is. And I, I realized that, that, life is, it's just all about perception and mindset. And you have it, we have a choice in how we look at everything. We can choose if we, we are going to be stressed over something, if we're going to worry or be anxious. Um, some of those things will happen naturally. And a little bit of that is good because that helps us from making disastrous decisions. Um, but there's a balance in there and it's taking me, it's taken me most of my life, um, to figure that out and I'm still not there yet. You know, it's, we're all a work in progress and it'll certainly continue to evolve over time. And as we go through different life experiences, but, um, doing things like meditation and just constantly stopping and asking myself, okay, what can I do here? Like, does, how much does this really matter in the grand scheme of things? Um, and that's, that's been helpful to try to be intentional with that. That's great. I love that you mentioned meditation. That's something that it's on my list of things to do better at. It's like always on my list of, it's on my list of to do mores of. Yes. <laughs> I'm always wanting to do more of that. Yes. And just little tactics. I know Virginia and I have talked a couple of times about this concept of um, the emotional bank account. And thinking of in the ener your energy bank account and thinking of the amount of energy that you have in a certain day as being a bank account and that you have a certain budget that you can use for energy and asking yourself, do I really need to put all my energy into this? Or 
does this just not matter that much? And I need to save my energy for something else. And trying to balance things out like that, I think helps me regulate emotions a little bit. Um, but I think that all kind of goes with meditation. That's so true. And I, I love that idea too. I always refer back to in my sociology degree, we talked about emotion work and I'm always saying to myself when something happens, I'm like, you know what? I don't have the capacity for this emotion work right now. I'm going to put yep. it on the back burner. I'm going to think about yep. that later. What do you both tend to do outside of meditation? What are some of the strategies that you all put in place just to try to, you know, regulate emotions and really put your energy in the right place? Um, I think something that I try to remember, and this is kind of morbid, <laughs> but I always remind myself that we're all dying one day. Like nothing is going to last forever, whether it's good or bad. And nothing is that important. Like I try to take things less seriously, uh, whether it's for the good or for the bad. And another thing that I try to do sometimes is trying to assess the stress in my body and try to acknowledge my like the position of my body, uh, my posture, if my muscles are tense, and if they are, trying to start releasing all that tension, like breathing in and out and just assessing it until it goes away and I can get rid of it a little bit. Um, but then taking me time is also a big one, trying to take baths and uh, trying to do things that I like, uh, going out in nature, even if it's just for a walk, something like that. So I would say those are my my top three. What about you, Sarah? You know, mine's actually super similar, and it goes along with what Alex said about you know how does this really matter in the, in the grand scheme of things. And I think ever since I was young, I was actually pretty good at recognizing that most of the things that my peers were, you know, really getting upset about or or freaking out over were things to me that seemed really insignificant. Um, you know, I'm the thing that I always do, I like to zoom out from my, like my physical setting. So I'll think of myself here in my apartment and then I'll think about, you know, if, if I was like the Google maps zooming out over where I'm at, I realize how small I am in terms of the whole ecosystem of life and how the little decisions that I make are, while they matter to me in the grand scheme of things, it's as long as it's not hurting other people, I'm, I probably did okay, even if it's something I messed up on. And so I think that's what really helps me is kind of level set with a more, you know, earth centric mode rather than a me centric mode. That's a really good visual. That's really zooming good. in and zooming out of, of Google Maps. I never really thought about it that way. And I really like that visual. That's yeah, a great I one. love that. Yeah. Alex, by the way, so if someone listening to us is what is has this itch that they want to move to another state or across the country or even somewhere else, what would you tell them is the best way to decide whether it's really the right moment and they should maybe think about it seriously or if it's just something that maybe it's in the cards but maybe for later on mm, that's a good question you know it's interesting I think this move it was it was something that we had talked about for a couple of years and at one point we were starting to take steps to do it 
And I realized inside of me, I was feeling these strong emotions. Like I want to do this, but something's holding me back. I'm not ready. And it was listening. It was really listening to my body and knowing that I wasn't ready, but that I would be at some point and deciding to hold. Um, so I think it's important to, you know, not make a, not make a decision when your emotions are too high. You know, a lot of times people might, might move if, you know, something goes bad in their life. Um, you know, trying to make sure that you make a decision when you feel very emotionally stable and kind of past the, um, the waves of what's going on. Um, but also really listen to your body and what it's, what it's telling you. Don't convince yourself in or out of something because I, I do feel like your body and your soul knows, knows what's right. Isn't There's, that funny? How, yeah. So sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. Go. Isn't that funny how sometimes we just need to be patient and listen to our intuition and it's something very hard to know is this really my intuition telling me something or am I just wanting to hear something and have a signal for doing this one thing that I want? Yes. Yes. And I think there's, you know, I think there's a certain level of, of work and energy that you really have to inject into it. But at the same time, there's a part of you that has to sort of let go and trust trust the universe or trust whatever, you know, higher power that you believe in, that things are going to work themselves out the way that they're meant to. And I think it's the the merriment of the two of those things coming together, putting the right work in, but also letting go of the things that you can't control and knowing that things will just fall into the right place. And it's been so interesting to look back at this whole experience and to realize that while this was very much a, a personal lifestyle choice that Michael and I made, it has very much, um, I think the impact of it in a positive way has really carried over into my professional life. Um, and, and by that, I mean, you know, I've, I've noticed myself, um, I think it was proof to myself that I, I could do this. I think I got very, um, I got very comfortable where I was, um, close to home. I've been with the same company for close to 10 years, which I'm still with and, and very, very much love and plan to stay for a long time. Um, but little things, you know, used to the same routes, driving around, seeing the same friends, doing the same activities and just not shaking things up enough for myself. And this experience certainly shook the ground beneath me. And I think now I'm looking at this and saying, wow, I was able to, to do all of that. Um, what can I, what else can I do? Um, so I'm approaching work a little bit differently mm-hmm. and trying new things and learning new things and, and taking, taking more calculated risks and just feeling a little bit less, um, a little less tense and anxious. Like, you know what, if I can do that, I can do this. This is all, this is all going to work itself out. Um, and I think the biggest thing that I noticed is being okay with saying, I don't know, but I will find out where in the past, I think I was much more likely to feel like I needed an answer right away. I needed to feel very secure in what was happening. I needed a plan. Um, but in this situation with the move, there was a lot that was uncertain and we, we did have to look at each other and say, 
you know, shrug our shoulders and say, I, I don't know, but we're going to, we're going to figure this out. And that's very much what happened. And I think I'm taking that approach more at work. Um, and it's, it's relaxed me a little bit more. So it's been interesting to see myself evolve over this last year. Alex, can you tell us what you do for work and, uh, you know, however much you want to be able to tell us? Yeah, absolutely. So I work in um, communicate IT communications for a very large food company, and um, I work permanently remotely. So um, I'm based out of the North America business, and uh, in short, I uh, spend a lot of time converting technical stuff into non-technical stuff and um, really supporting the leadership team, the executive leadership team of our IT organization and making sure that the, the um, vision is communicated out and uh, that the company is kind of on board with, with where we're going. Gotcha. So a lot of, yeah, so a lot of, um, a lot of writing, a lot of um, different types of communication and um, coaching and things like that. Um, I'm realizing as we speak that I'm not very good at describing what I do and probably need to work on that a little bit. I feel like that's everyone, like um, everyone for sure. Yeah, I don't quite know what my, my elevator pitch is and it's, it's different every we day. We should do a sure. whole workshop on that. Um, we'll figure out how we do it and then we, we can should. teach everyone else how to do it. We should. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a, that's a really so was good your one. job always remote or is that new with the move? Yeah. So, um, my company's based in, my role was based in the U S our technology hub is actually based out of St. Louis. We have offices all over the U S mainly in Washington, DC, San Francisco, Toronto, Ohio. Um, and so my role was based out of St. Louis, but being in technology, uh, very simple to translate my work into being remote. And fortunately, I had some really terrific support from my company and my team to be able to do this. And we actually made the decision to make our move before COVID happened. Um, it was an interesting transition because we had a couple of months during the pandemic while we were still working at home remotely out of St. Louis before we had moved. Okay which I'm very grateful for because that really taught me how to work permanently remotely. It was a good transition versus going cold turkey. I was used to, you know, going into work every day and having a really great in-office culture and a nice group of friends there and just a great routine. So I was a little bit nervous about going cold on that and, and being remote all the time. So it was a good transition to be able to have that. Gotcha. Does your team do anything to, I mean, I know in my, in my position, I'm also remote, um, but it was definitely in response to COVID and, you know, we're still exploring ways that we can basically just, I don't know, meet up and sync up as a team, but in a, a fun way that we were more familiar with doing in the office does your team have anything that you would suggest as being, you know, kind of fun, but over that remote style? Yeah. So we started, we started doing a couple of things. We do, um, we do virtual coffee sessions where, you know, we all bring a, a cup of coffee or a, a favorite, you know, beverage. And we just do kind of like a, a coffee talk. You're meeting up with a group of friends, you know, at a coffee shop or, you know, in the coffee break room at the office. And 
it's just a, you know, kick things around, not too work focused. Um, and that seems to be really fun. We've been doing that on Friday mornings. It's just been a good way to, to end the week. And um, we've done a couple of organized games. I think the, um, oh gosh, what is it called? It's like Jackbox TV oh, games. Yeah we've done yeah we'll get a group a group of people on a call and we'll divide up in in teams and play jackbox tv games (laughs) so that's that's been really fun yes that's been fun and just some virtual virtual happy hours uh we use microsoft teams which has some really nice features to um and I am not speaking on behalf of Microsoft Teams to advertise them right now, <laughs> but I do really love their tools. I love that. <laughs> um, but, there, <laughs> but there are some really nice features within Teams that um, kind of almost let you feel like you're in the room with people and you can do breakout rooms if you're doing um, certain meetings and sessions. So we've gotten a little bit creative. No doubt that it's not the same and it's something that I deeply miss. Um, but we are very intentional with getting on video in a lot of our meetings to see faces and feel like we're together in the same room, but it's hard. I'm curious um, what you both are doing in your offices. So for me, you know, being remote, it was something that, um, you know, we really didn't have anything leading up to it. Um, It was kind of like here in Utah, one day in March, everyone just got sent home and there was no real there was no practice ahead of time or, you know, nothing to really prepare us. And so we do the same kind of thing where we have, you know, weekly meetings or a couple of reoccurring meetings with, you know, the friends that you would normally see at work, but we're definitely looking for some fun options to kind of bring back that fun and enjoyment in our space. And I think I'm totally going to steal the Jackbox games idea because I love that. That's exactly kind of what we're looking for. Yeah, it's been fun. It really has. And, you know, I have to say I've, I've been very, um, I, we have not gone out and seen people. We haven't been in a, a, it's, it's weird to think we've been living in Salt Lake City almost a year and have not yet physically been inside to like sit down in a restaurant. That's a very weird feeling. (laughs) Um, So we've been, we've been extremely careful throughout the pandemic, but we have most definitely been exploring nature (laughs) while we've been here. Um, And we've been, you know, just masking up and doing some distanced walks with people and distance hikes and, you know, keeping some space between us and everybody masked. And um, I am super grateful to have the weather and just to have the space outdoors where that's such a part of the culture. Um, And it's why we moved here. so we've definitely been been doing that. I do take a lot of work calls, not so much lately, but I do take them, um, just I plug headphones into my phone, put it in my pocket, take a walk around the neighborhood for um, for a call, and it, it just changes my environment a oh, little that's bit. That's a great idea. I feel and like it's, it's nice totally change. necessary to get out and, you know, still live your life. And we want to do everything that we can to be a helper during the pandemic and not spread it. But at the same time, the mental health of all of our individual states is so important. So I totally get the need to, you know, go up and, you know, do masks, of course, but, you know, actually get to see someone from a distance and, and have kind of that interaction. Absolutely. I think we can all do our part and still, 
um, do some of those things and, and do them right. And especially, you know, being outside. Um, absolutely. That's really nice. Yeah, I, I agree. I think uh, keeping up with our mental health is super important. And it's something that no one else can do for us. And I think that luckily, because we live in a state that is very outdoors inclined, there's still a lot of things that we can safely do and enjoy and practice even during having to quarantine. And the pandemic, like you can do a lot of things just by yourself, out in nature and uh, in the open air. So, so that's great. But yeah, um, my work, same thing. I do work mostly in person in normal times, but they had to send all of us home. So I work from home mostly. And uh, it's been a change because never before have I ever um, worked from home. And I'm really, really, really liking it. And I think I'm going to hope that even when we resume normal operations that I can still work from home. And I think I'm going to try to start focusing my career on jobs that I can work remotely uh, because I, I mean, I really, really like it. I, I, I don't see a reason why companies wouldn't keep this app for any employee that likes it better. Obviously it's better for them. It's better for us and we've proven that we can do it. So. Absolutely. I, I think before this pandemic, I don't think I worked about maybe one day a week from home consistently but I think I would have told you, oh, I could, I could never work from home. No way. Um, and it has entirely changed my perspective. Um, and, and I love it. I absolutely love it. I don't know yeah. if I could go back into the office. <laughs> Honestly, I, I do love it, but it, it, it has taken, and I realize that everybody's circumstances are very different. I don't have children. Um, my house is fairly mm -hmm. quiet. Um, but you know, I, I've been extremely, extremely intentional with building a routine and, you know, we, we turned our second bedroom in our apartment into a home office and I shut down my computer at the end of every day and I close the door and I don't go back in until the next morning and I treat it as if it is my office. And I think if it's probably difficult for people to to do that right now who know that they are going to go back into the office and they're kind of in this this limbo stage whereas I know it's different for me where it was a short transition for me to work remotely and I know that that's my permanent state for the foreseeable future um so it definitely has has forced me to adapt mm -hmm. to all of this um I do really wish I had this grand plan when we moved here that, you know, I would pick a different coffee shop to work mm -hmm. out of every Friday <laughs> and try to, you know, try to work amongst people and, and find some sense of, of community. And unfortunately that hasn't panned out quite yet, but that is definitely plans for the future. I do have a question for both of you, um, Virginia, since you've been here in Utah for quite a while and Sarah, you as well. I'm curious what, um, what you do just to, to build and to keep a sense of community here. That's a good, that's a good question because I, I also find that a little challenging, like, especially what really gets me every time. It's the fact that here people drive everywhere where I'm from, we walk everywhere. So you run into people all the time and you stay closer because you walk everywhere. You can only go so far kind of thing. Like you would use the car for far distances, like traveling to a, 
at a city that is 30 minutes from here. But here, I feel like because we drive everywhere, you end up like dispersing yourself more. And I find it harder, but I find that for me, it has been like living at a place where they focus on community, um, where there's activities to meet people, um, going to take fun classes like dancing classes or skiing in the winter it's such a such a thing here in Utah so like if you do that you're probably gonna meet people but in general I feel like also being open to meeting people but also going to the university helped because he was in university here in Utah and I feel like everyone is trying to make friends so I would say that helps too but what would you say there yeah yeah no my answer is probably an easier solution than either of you two will have just because I have grown up here and my family's all here and, you know, it's all very centralized for me. Um, but one thing that I've always enjoyed doing just because of my personality is meeting new people. And there's a couple of groups that I follow. Um, one of them is a, like a wine hiking group where you go on a hike and you have wine at the top of the mountain. And so if you don't like hiking, but you like wine, you might like wine hiking. But a lot of people on that group are people just like yourselves that have come to Utah out of, you know, whatever circumstance. And they're all looking for new friends or someone to hang out with. And I, I would just say find the groups of people that are, you know, in a similar situation as you that have a similar mindset. But that being said, I'm also thinking now we should totally just form a group because let's just make a a little sorority of sorts and we can do whatever the heck we want to with it. I like that. I I really like that, Sarah. I think that's that's really good advice. And you know what's interesting? Being a a first-time mover out of state and and truly starting over, we knew two people when we moved here. one of which is my husband's very best friend from growing up, him and his wife, and their two kids who are very best friends of ours. So we feel fortunate to have them. Um, but other than that, you know, we we came here not knowing anybody. And what's interesting is that when you go someplace and you don't have any family, your friends become your family. You know, your friends, your friends become your chosen family. And it, I have such a, a deep desire to just have this, uh, have this close network of family here. And I, I've never been a person that needed a, a group of 20 girls. Um, you know, I've always been kind of a very small, small group, small network kind of person. But those few people you have, you know, you hold them close and uh, they're everything to you. So I'm, I'm just appreciative to have met a few people even during this pandemic while we've been here. And I do look forward to being able to do things like wine hiking <laughs> and uh, actually making friends at the the ski lift and and things like that. So we'll get there certainly, but um, that's great advice. Well, I have to say, I I had a group about four years ago, three to four years ago, and it was one of those meetup groups. Uh, I felt like I couldn't find exactly what I was looking for, so I did a girls group and uh i found one of one of my closest friends now lane um but then people started not showing up 
so it kind of made me sad. So I, I have to say, I'm still a little salty about that, <laughs> but I would be open to trying again with you guys. <laughs> I know. I, it's funny you say that. Um, I am, I'm not usually the one to like bring a bunch of people together. I think I, uh, I don't know. I'm like, too much of a nervous person to do that, hoping everybody's getting along and wondering why people aren't coming. And so I'm usually the one to like join and hope that, you know, try to help and make sure everybody's included and, and all that stuff. But that's, a, that's interesting. That, that definitely resonates with me, Virginia. I feel like I, in all of my friend groups growing up, I was like the, the one person that everyone knew. And so I would introduce everyone and then I totally get it. Like in junior high, there were always conflicts and I, everyone would come to me because I was like the middle person. And so I was always having to try and like solve that conflict. So I totally get it. There's, and there's actually a, a sociological description that states that groups over, I want to say it's like seven are, are just bound to have conflict. And so I don't know, smaller groups, it's true. They, they're kind of, there's a sweet spot. That's interesting. A girlfriend and I, right after we finished graduate school, we started up, um, one of the classes that we took was, we, there were like eight people in the class and we loved it so much because it was just like a discussion class. We had some really, really rich debate on important topics and we were we were sad when it was over because we just really looked forward to getting this class together and having this great discussion. And so we decided to start up a book club. And we did. And we had about eight girls. And in theory, it was a great idea. It was really fun. It just became difficult when, you know, people were kind of last minute dropping out and couldn't come or, you know, the person who was supposed to lead the discussion couldn't come. And, you know, then I found myself stressing out about you know, should this continue? Are people having a good time? Do they even like the book? People are spending their money on the book. And it was just, I think it was a little bit too stressful for my brain. However, I do think gathering people together is so important and it has to continue. And I love it when it just, it, it kind of comes naturally. Yeah. I, I think it's very true, but, uh, but bringing it back, what other things would you say that you have been learning in this last months since you guys moved here? Yeah, I think. In terms of personal growth, because I know that you're very big on personal yes. growth. So yes. Tell us about um, I think it's been a little bit of a, a mental change from a fixed mindset to more of a growth mindset and just being more open to new experiences, new things. And the, the concept of yes. And, you know, um, and just being, being open to, to what's possible. I think that's been a, a really, really big takeaway for me and in going into 21 now, um, wanting to carry some of that same spirit and energy. Um, we bought a home here and it's, uh, it's under construction now and it's, uh, we're moving in, in the summer. Um, and with that, you know, we're kind of in a, a waiting period and sort of a, and I don't know, period. And I think former Alex would have said, okay, have to be super, but super buttoned up. We have to be ready. We have to have this whole plan. We need to know exactly where all the furniture is going to go. We need to know what we're going to buy once we move in. And I've kind of just, um, washed my hands of that and have said, you know what, we got through the process. We are 
very fortunate we were able to find a place in this booming Salt Lake City market right now. And, um, you know, we're, we're fortunate we can, we can do all this through the pandemic and we're going to have a, a home waiting for us in a couple of months and we'll figure it all out when we get there. So I think being able to carry some of the lessons over from this move into other areas of my life has been my goal and, and to be really, um, hold myself accountable to that. Mm -hmm. Would you say that some of those lessons have trickled down into your professional yes. life? Yes. Um, I think it goes back to that, you know, fixed mindset, growth mindset in, in the workplace and trying new, um, starting new processes, trying new things, doing things we've never done before, um, leading my team a little bit differently. Um, I lead a small team and a very, very tight knit team that, um, a lot is expected of us and we have to work very, very collaboratively. And there are times when it can get a little bit, you know, stressful in the role, um, working a lot with the leadership team and the executive group. And, um, I think it's taught me to just lead a little bit differently and, and collaborate differently with people a little bit more, a little bit more empathy, um, you know, and being able to just approach problem solving differently. Yeah, I always say that I can perfectly tell when someone in leadership or upper management works on themselves or not, regardless of if they work on themselves during job, like during work hours, whether they are into personal development and reading books and uh, improving themselves all the time or they're not. Because I firmly believe that it really changes who you are at the workplace like there's no way that if you are really working on yourself and essentially changing who you are hopefully for the better that it will not reflect on who you are at work and uh, I think that's very important yeah what would be some of the biggest lessons I could not agree with you more I think there's a huge intersection between personal and professional growth and even behavior. I think what we do at work, we often take home and what, you know, how we act at home, we often take to work. I think we have to be conscious of that. Absolutely. And the people that I respect the most, I think are the ones who can balance that really well. You know, they're modeling work-life balance. They are modeling how they prioritize their lives at home and prioritize their lives at work, whether it's you know, how much they can accomplish, um, what, what's the, what takes the most priority, what's going to produce the most value and focusing on those things. Um, but I do think there is a massive intersection between both of those. And if you really work on yourself personally, that will transfer into the professional world. And if you really take care of yourself professionally, I think that that also can be taken back into your personal life. I totally agree with that just because I'm, you know, I'm thinking about the ways that I guess the, the points that cause people stress. And a lot of that is either, you know, your home life is stressing out your work life or your work life is stressing out your home life and finding that balance between the two and recognizing that it's, you know, they're kind of their own ecosystem together. Um, because I think the most important thing about work and working as a human is recognizing that work is going to have to be emotional in certain ways because we are humans trying to get a job done. And so there are going to be stressors that come into work and we are going to have to, you know, have that empathy that you're talking about just because 
you know, we're, we're not machines. And, and I think that's actually what makes work beautiful and some of the things that we can produce and the things that we can accomplish. And so finding that balance is so important and having that empathy while people find that balance is amazing. Oh, I like that, Sarah. I, that's really, really well said. And and I think you have to build on that. I think you have to, you know, there's this argument of do you do you do what you're do for a living what you're passionate about, or do you find passion in what you do? And I think you have to, I think you have to care about what you do. Um, you may not care 150% about everything, but I think you really have to care about what, what you do at work. Just like you have to care about you know, things at home. Um, and I think your performance is reflected in how much you care. And I think, I mean, I've gone through kind of different patterns in life where, um, you know, I'll have days where my thinking towards work is, you know, oh, it's just work. And I recognize those days. And so I try to really recognize kind of the end point um, for, you know, what my work is actually doing or how it's affecting people. And I work in the financial industry. And so, you know, from, from my point of view, when I'm thinking about work, sometimes it can just seem like, you know, you're working in an office, you're doing a desk job. It sounds super lame. But then if I think about who my, who my customers actually are or who my consumers actually are, they're people just like me. And the financial industry is so necessary in order for someone to do anything in life. And so, you know, we're, we're really actually helping people's dreams come true by being there for them in a way that seems, you know, maybe on the, on the surface, very, very cold and very sterile, you know, a very boring job, but in reality, we're, we're truly helping people. And so I think that if you're getting to this, the point in life where, you know, you're thinking about your job and it feels negative, try to think about just kind of how you're really affecting others. Yeah, that, it's so important. And um, I, I'll never forget the story. So my husband used to work in a, a marketing role at a hospital. And um, I remember that there was some type of interview with some of the janitorial staff. And they were saying that, you know, they feel like they are part of saving lives, that they save lives every day. And they do. And I think so much of that is, is perspective. I think, you know, those are some of the happiest employees in that company. I think they really embody that mission and that vision while somebody else might say, oh, a janitor doesn't save lives. They clean floors or, you know, whatever the case may be. And I just think that's such a, a beautiful way to look at what you do and give some perspective to it. And if you, what, regardless of what industry that you're in, if you care about it and you really make the dot connection that you are helping people, I think that that will impact how you behave at work. Um, yeah, I, I kind of think the same thing. And I think uh, it's very important to remember why you're doing something and something to think about sometimes too. If, if you cannot find why you're doing something, maybe it's a time to reflect on that and find a job that gives you purpose. Because I think that working just for the money aspect of it, it's kind of a thing of the past. Like I feel like these days with internet and how much we can research and talk to other people, we all have a, the luxury of 
thinking and finding something that we really care about and we can give our all to and go to work being happy every day. I'm not saying like when you're going on vacation, but at least you should feel like you know why you do why you're doing this and you can find some fulfillment and some purpose on what you're doing. So yeah, I think that's really important. I like that. Somebody once told me about um, they they called it the career octopus and they said, you know, think of your job or your career as an octopus having, you know, eight, eight tentacles, eight legs, whatever the case may be. And each one of those is a value that you have in your career. So, you know, and that might change at different parts of your career. So maybe, you know, one of those eight is you value work-life balance, you value good management, you value, you know, work that has a purpose name whatever those eight things are. And you should, in your job, meet about five to seven of those. If you are, or sorry, six to seven of those. If you have six or less or five or less, then that's a, a point at which maybe you should be reconsidering a new, a new role or a new place. Mm-hmm. If all of those values or a good chunk of those values aren't met. And I thought that was a really interesting way to be able to evaluate where you are in your career or in your role and how you're doing mm-hmm. I and that. whether or not it goes back to the, to when you were asking, you know, how did you, how did you know what advice do you have about, you know, making that move and, and being able to kind of look at some of those things and make a really calculated decision, you know, not just on emotions, but, you know, also on, you know, what really is driving this decision? What are the realities of, of what's going on in the moment right now? And what are you looking for? What do you need? What needs are not being met? Yeah, I, I agree. That's super important. And uh, the truth is, from what I've heard, most people leave their jobs due to bad management, unethical practices, toxic environments than for the money itself, at least these days anyways. So that's something to keep in mind. Yes. And thank you to the millennial generation, to our generation for uh, shaking that up. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's good. I, I, I don't think money is the top driver for most people these days. I think it's all of the, all of the extraneous stuff that are the most important, what type of environment you're in, the people you're working with, the leadership that's leading you. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. The leadership thing, it's, it's huge really. And I think sometimes because things have been changing a lot in the last one or two decades, I think leadership doesn't realize how much power they really have and how much their morals and decisions they make impact the entire company. Like it's not just about the board or the board of directors or the people that are sitting at that table. It really trickles down to everyone else. And you really are setting an example for everyone else of how you behave, the choices you make, what the values are for the company and everyone involved. And, and that's really big. I think we're going to see a big change on how executives and upper management behave and set an example in the next years, for sure. I agree with you, Virginia. I also think that, I think that leadership, some of the best leadership doesn't happen at the executive leadership level. I think it happens lower down on the chain. And I'm curious, you know, if you all have any mentors or examples that that you really respect and follow that may not be at the top. 
that people that are making a, a really big difference that are, you know, kind of at the, the mid-level individual contributor level. So I, I have to say that I've been so lucky to have two amazing bosses, my previous two bosses, and even my boss now. I mean, I don't know him as well just because I, I haven't been in the company for that long and we work remotely. But my two previous bosses were amazing. They were either managers or senior managers. And I learned two, like I learned amazing things from either one and they were both great. But my last one, I think I was with him for longer and he had the perfect balance of professionalism, but being able to get to know you on a personal level. And that was the first time that I really appreciated how much getting to really know the people that you're working with on a personal level will really impact your professional performance and how efficient you are. And it's not really about getting into all the little crannies of like your personal life and all these little details, but just like actually caring and actually wanting to get to know who the people that you're spending so many hours with are, where they're at in, the, in their lives. Like, do they have anything that they're going through? Like, do you need to support them in different ways? And, and we're also different. And I think that through getting to know them in that way also, you can kind of assess like their skills and what they're most comfortable with and what they're best at and all these different things. And I don't know. He was able to get to know people on a personal level, but in a very professional way. And that will impact me forever. I, I think for me, one of my favorite individuals that I ever had as a supervisor um, being, you know, I, I don't want to call us, you know, the lower level, but we were kind of the lower level in terms of, you know, where we're at on that employment scheme. And what I loved was that no job was too low for him to do as a supervisor. You know, it, he would get into the trenches with us, you know, taking phone calls, um, you know, making sure that he was every bit a part of the struggle that any other employee was going through. Um, if something was going on, you know, bypassing up things that other management maybe would, instead of helping the team, they're going out to lunch or, you know, going golfing or whatever it is, you know, instead of doing that, um, there were times that they would pass that up to just be there with the team and be a part of the the problem solving. And I really think that communicated a, a great sense of togetherness that I, I don't think would have been seen otherwise. That is amazing. When when managers are willing to just get their hands dirty, they're, they are not above anything. And my boss is the same way. And that's one of the things I, I love so much about him is he's not above anything. And he will jump in and get his hands dirty like all of us on everything. And I think that's really permeated the culture that we have within our team. That is so, that's so important. That's really good to hear. Yeah, that's super important. I think that our direct supervisor or manager has such an impact on us because they're almost the lens through which you see the entire company because you hear from upper management through them. They communicate the needs of your team to upper management through them. They are almost the translator. So whatever words they use, whatever sentiment they have about the company, that's that's something that you're going to absorb through treating with him. 
or her. So yeah. It's funny. I, I make a joke about this, that my boss is my, my work dad. <laughs> because it, it very much it, it does it they often feel like a parent and you soak in all of the you know you trust them you you take what they're saying you um it, it's it's really funny how that happens and, and hopefully you get lucky and you get a really good work parent but um uh, but yeah in many ways I, I do think that's that's the case absolutely I think in terms of getting getting to know each other better you know in the example that that you mentioned Virginia um our teams we had a, a new member that joined our team a couple of months ago and Whenever we have a team meeting, which is, you know, on Mondays and Fridays, we started incorporating, um, I actually stole this idea from my husband, um, doing question ball, where at the very beginning of the meeting, somebody, it's somebody's turn, and they just throw out kind of a, a fun get to know you question. Um, you know, it could be what was your, what were your three favorite cereals when you were a kid, or if you could name a statue after, you know, you could name your own statue, what would you name it? And just, you know, all kinds of fun questions for a chance for people to come up with their own. But it's a fun way to get to know people and and kind of warm up on the phone call. Um, that's something we've done a lot of, especially in this, this virtual environment. Um, and that's been just a, a really nice way to open up and get more comfortable with people and feel that's like you gone. can kind of show yourself a little bit more naturally. That's awesome. So who is something that you admire? Somebody I, I admire. Um, I really, really admire our, our executive, our CIO, um, our chief information officer. She is just an incredible human. She's, um, she's the leader of our organization and she's from Switzerland. She's been here in North America leading our team for the last several years. And what I love about her is not just the humble beginnings, but how often and comfortable she feels saying, I don't know the answer. She is always being reverse mentored and learning from people that are younger than her, that are beside her. And I think she's just a very authentic human and she doesn't act or, you know, she doesn't act as if she's, you know, 12 pay grades above you. Um, and she really humanizes herself. And I deeply admire that because egos are very, uh, they're, <laughs> they kind of saturate the, the workforce, I would say, especially as you get into the higher levels of management, not all, but uh, but many. And so I just really admire how humanized that she is. And I think that that has carried out into our organization and it's a huge part of her leadership style. That's amazing. I think it's really important to have someone that you admire in the workplace just because it, it helps push you. And even if, um, you know, maybe they're not actually in a, I don't know the right way to say it, not a a job title leadership role, but they are a leader nonetheless. And I love that. I love when someone that, you know, for no other reason than just being a, a leader for the sake of recognizing that they have the power within themselves to do good and make change. They just kind of take the reins regardless of who gave them the reins. You know, it's, it's not anything that they have to wait for 
the the permission to to lead and i love that yeah i i think there's i think there needs to be more leadership training at a um at more youthful parts of your career because i think um I think we all have the power to an opportunity to to lead and it it doesn't have to be dictated by a job title or a salary or some some you know proverbial position of power um but I I really admire those people who um who don't have necessarily have that job title and yet they are setting such an extraordinary example for other people and I also think that you can admire people for, you know, like I admire my boss for certain things. Um, and then I admire other people for other things, but they may not, you know, do everything so well. I, you know, I may not admire them for absolutely everything, but there's certain things that they may model. And I think that's okay too. Um, you know, that certain people do some things, really well, but maybe not everything. And they're, they're humble enough to say, you know, I'm still learning. I'm still trying to really get better, get better at this or that. Yeah, that's really good. Do you think, do you both think that leaders are born or they're made? Mm, That's a great question. Mm. That is a good question. I I'm trying to think, I think that even if someone is, is born as a leader, maybe they have everything, you know, physiologically that would set them out as a leader. I think they still have to, I think they have to be willing to recognize that and accept it and, and Mm -hmm. behave in a way that aligns with it. I I think that a lot of that probably comes from life experiences. And so that, that kind of leads me more to the idea that they're made because they're accepting it and acting upon it. Yeah, I I agree with you, Sarah. I I kind of think Pareto principle on this one, and I think people are are kind of born twenty percent with having the the tendencies or the propensities for certain things, but I think eighty percent is is made, and what you do with that twenty percent. Um, you know, certain people I think are are you know inherit really strong communication skills or, you know, somebody might inherit, you know, really strong skills in something else or speaking or, or whatever the case may be, um, or certain personality traits that make them, that could make them a really strong leader. But I do think a lot of it is, is made and what are your influences? What environment were you raised in or were you educated in, um, you know, and who you surround yourself with? I think that's a, a huge chemistry experience experiment of of what shapes you and there's no there's no right formula or or right answer mm-hmm. i think i think great leaders come from everywhere and anywhere and all backgrounds and all upbringings and i think that's the that's the beautiful thing about it is we don't have to say oh i'm i'm not a leader i'll never be a leader i think it's i think it's a decision to to be a leader and taking the responsibility and the accountability to shape the 20% that, that you have to make the rest of the 80%. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. I, I just, the only thing that I sometimes debate is I think a good leader needs to have empathy. Yes. And I don't know that that's something that you can develop that much. 
Like, I was um, going to ask you that if you think yeah. that 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 can be honed and developed, or if you think that that's hardwired. I think that there's people that are born with it. That's for sure. Now, if someone doesn't have it, it's one of those things where you say, do people change? Yeah, everyone can change, but it takes a lot for a person to change certain patterns and things. Um, so they really, they really need to be intentional about it. And I think empathy, it's one of those things that you need to really pursue it if you really don't have it yep. to develop it. So it's one of those things where I do think everyone can be a great leader, but I think it may take more from some people than from others. But I also think the same way that Sarah was, you were saying that even if you're born a leader, you're still going to do some work. You still have to tap into that, embrace it and continue to grow. This is not something that once you have it, you're done. Just like going to the gym, you need to continue to go to the gym. Yep. Keep up with your progress. I feel like being a good leader is the same thing, but I do definitely think that there are some people born into that more than others. But in the same way that athletes in a way are, are born and everyone can be one, but there's some people that are born with their bodies more predisposition, like they're, they're born pretty athletic, their body built in general is pretty athletic. That doesn't mean that someone who doesn't have that from the beginning cannot achieve being a professional athlete. But for sure, there's some people that have it a little easier than others just because they were born that way. I feel like it's the same thing with leaders and leadership positions in general. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I do agree with you on that. Absolutely. I think empathy plays an incredible role. Um, and yeah, I think it's interesting to know how much of that, you know, really you, you might be born with and, and how much, you know, can be, can be honed and shaped over time. Yeah. Great point. I agree. Well, I wonder if we should, we should start wrapping it up, um, here. Yeah. I think this conversation has been awesome. Anytime we have these conversations, it always makes me want to a go do better at work. <laughs> like, I feel like there's like, even if I'm doing good, like, I feel like there's always cool, cool growth that I take from conversations like this, that, that makes me recognize a moment where, where I can do something differently that maybe will have a more positive outcome. And I love that. I love these conversations. They're totally my favorite. And I've, I've loved the opportunity to have Alex on with us because clearly, I mean, girl, you're, you're a star. I like, you can tell just by the way that you talk that, you know, I, I think you've had the, the growth in your life that you've needed to bring you to where you are today. And I feel like we have a lot that we can learn from you. Um, you know, I'm really glad that we were able to have you on the podcast today. Oh, likewise, you guys, this was such a pleasure. Um, it is just, it is so nice to have a good conversation with two wonderful people and feel like you can walk away just like you learned something and you just really enjoyed the talk. So I, I loved it. I love what you guys are doing. Um, I think this is important, just getting together, whether it's virtual or not, and just having conversations every day 
that can help us all grow and learn from each other. So this is really wonderful and I've loved it. And I'll say, I'll say what I, one of my favorite people in the world, Brene Brown always says is I'm not here to be right. I'm here to get it right. Um, and that's how I'm just trying to approach everything is I, you know, I just want to learn. I want to grow. I want to evolve and I want to look back and, and feel proud of the effort that I put in knowing that it'll never be perfect, but um, I just really appreciate the opportunity to be here and talk with you girls. I love that. And I wonder, and we can take a second to think, but I wonder if we could each recommend one book that has to do either with leadership or personal development that yeah. could help people that are trying to grow in this area. Just a quick fire round. Mm, well, Alex mentioned Brene Brown and I love Brene Brown. Me too. I <laughs> love Brene Brown. She's amazing. Like, she is. Like, it doesn't matter what it is. Like, she has talked on so many different topics. Yeah. And she just kind of has a way of making you go, oh, I get that. I understand myself now. And it just, she puts words to the feelings that you wouldn't otherwise have a way to describe. Yes. Yes. I second that. Definitely. This is this I know is is a very popular book, but it's one of the first ones that I read in graduate school and it has stayed with me. Just very, very practical lessons, nothing overly groundbreaking, but I think it just puts some definition around some things that I've always I've always known is um Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Nice. I'm a big fan of that book. And uh I think it's it's definitely shaped uh my mindset over the years. I love that. I, uh, I think I want to recommend a book that my first boss recommended. It's called Verbal Judo. And it's about communicating and uh, how to get people on board with your ideas, but also how to understand others better. So I recommend that one. I'm going to have to write that down. <laughs> I know, I'm like, nope, no. I, I like think it. as far as professional growth, I'm trying to think of the one that really stood out to me. Most of the growth books I've read are maybe not di directly um, professional growth, um, but this one talks on it quite a bit. The most powerful woman in the room is you. Mm. And it's actually a really cool read from not only the perspective of the things that you learn from it, but getting to hear her story. Um, she's like a, she does auctions at different houses and it talks about how, you know, she kind of summoned the courage to not only be good at what she does, but how she does it, um, you know, and kind of having to channel the power of getting up there and being the woman in the room that leads the entire room of, you know, kind of messy, bustling businessmen that are ready to auction on something. Um, super cool. I actually really love that book. That's interesting. I think this is one of our best ones for sure. I agree. Uh, I love it. I hope I didn't uh, no, go no, too much on a rant on anything. I could probably talk on these topics for days. It's just, it's, it's personal. It's passionate. It's, um, I think I'm more passionate than anything about just personal growth because that's what we all have control over, you know? And I think just, you know, nobody's, nobody's perfect, but I think, you know, working on my relationship with myself has been the most important need I've ever had. 
And, you know, if you get that right, then hopefully you get, you can get relationships right with other people, you know? Well, and we'll see all of our listeners next week. Bye. Bye.